Well, this morning we are kind of ending one year and beginning a new year, and so I thought I'd, uh, we're going to actually begin a whole new series of things. But in, in talking about this, I want us to think through technology for a brief moment. I was reading something this week, and, and what I found is that our brains and even our bodies are being rewired by technology. There are some great advances that technology makes, but there are also negative impacts. And I realize this is a bit old, but think about how old this is. In 2014, there was a study that came out, and so some, the people who did that study wrote a blog post, and they, they looked at the physiological effects of technology on our bodies. And the writers summarized their findings in this way. They said, technology has altered human physiology. It makes us think differently, feel differently, even dream differently. It affects our memory, attention spans, and sleep cycles. So in this very brief post, they went in and talked about five different ways that our bodies are different because of the technology that we have. Now, part of the reason I point out the year, what I've, what I've learned in the last several, really several months is that in 2012, when the iPhone became super popular, when social media became really rampant among students, that's when colleges began to notice some drastic changes in their students. But here's some findings that these guys found. We dream in color more. The vivid images that we have on our screens and our computers give our minds colors from which to draw when, when our minds are, are, are forming dreams. Secondly, they notice that we experience FOMO. That is the fear of missing out. Now, some of us come by it honestly. I've had FOMO from the time I was five years old and social media did not exist back then. But the, with the advent of social media, what's happening, essentially, we see all the things that everybody else is getting to do, all those cool cars that everyone else is getting to drive, all those cool clothes that they're getting to wear, all those cool places they're getting to go, and we're thinking, man, I wish I was there. We have FOMO. Third, they've noticed that technology causes us to have phantom vibration syndrome. Have you ever felt that when you think your phone is vibrating when really it's not? I used to always wear my phone on my hip, and every now and then I would feel, oh, no, it didn't vibrate. No, not a call, not a text, no. The third, or fourth one, they found that we can't get to sleep or stay asleep. Some doctors suggest that the globe, our phones, tablets, computer screens, and even television prevent our brains from being able to get into and stay into a, a state of rest. Our, our computers, our technology is keeping us awake. And finally, they said that we can't remember or pay attention. They write that back in the old, old, old days, learning by rote was a prized skill, so prized, in fact, that students were often expected to recite entire books from memory. In our Google happy world, when virtually any scrap of information is instantly at our fingertips, we don't bother retaining facts, let alone whole passages. After all, who needs to memorize the capital of Mozambique when you can simply ask Siri, right? By the way, it's Maputo, in case you're wondering. And they go on to note how we don't even really read things very deeply either. We tend to skim articles for the important facts, and then even, even in that, only for a few moments. We try to glean little highlights just to have enough knowledge to be in the know. 
In fact, a good friend of mine who's a pastor, he used to be able to read for hours at a time. He would read ancient texts for two, three hours at a time and just dive into these original documents. And he said now, I think largely from technology, but he also acknowledged that it may have been from COVID. He can't, he said, I feel like my brain is in a fog. I simply can't concentrate for more than a few minutes. He said, I I can't pay attention to what I'm reading. And I bring this up because it seems like that this rewiring of our brains and our bodies is also impacting our spiritual lives. At least it's impacting mine. I have to fight to focus during my, during my devotional time. Even as I silently pray, I, I find my mind wandering in, into the various different things going on during the day, things, ideas, all this stuff, and then I re- come back five minutes later and realize, oh yeah, I was praying. It's as though my brain is like a mouse that clicks on hyperlinks, and I've gone so far away from where I started that I don't know how to get back there. And maybe I'm not alone. Maybe I am alone in this, but I suspect that I'm not. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be discussing how we can delight in the, in the Trinity through spiritual disciplines. And the purpose of this series is to help us deepen our affection for and our knowledge of God. And my hope is that in exploring these disciplines, it will make, exploring these disciplines will make us familiar with tools that will help us grow in godliness. And rather than walking through a book of the Bible like we normally do, we're going to be pulling from a variety of different places as we reflect on these disciplines. And so today, we're going to begin with something that is a bit foundational, and that is the discipline to delight in God, delighting in God. We're going to look at several passages today, but if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open to Psalm 37, that's one we're going to hit on the most. And the reason I want you to bring that one up is because that is where we get the command to delight in God. In fact, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, in some Christian circles and, and and various traditions, the idea of pleasure or delight is taboo. Some people would say that pleasure is a sin, and yet Scripture commands us to delight or find pleasure in Yahweh. The New Testament writers would use the word rejoice to describe our enjoyment of God. In fact, we were called to worship this morning with, with a very famous passage that simply says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, how we'll say rejoice. But what is delight? What does that mean? What is delight? The Oxford Dictionary defines delight as as a verb meaning to please greatly. The Hebrew word that we have here in in, uh, Psalm 37.4 has the idea, or carries with it the idea of pampering. Now think about that. Delighting in God, having this connotation of somehow pampering or being refreshed, taking great pleasure in something, and, and in this case, in God. There is an enjoyment that comes with delight. 
It's like going to an art museum and reflecting on a painting and you just stand there. You know, it'd be one thing to go look and, oh, look, there's a painting of a house and it's nice. But when you stand there and you linger on the painting, you begin to appreciate the painting for all that it is. You look at the colors. You imagine the process the artist went through in coming up with this design. The more you look at it, you can see how her brush strokes would have gone across the canvas and how they bring to life this picture that was once in her mind now is on this canvas. We gain an appreciation for her creativity, her precision, her technique. And in much the same way, I think when we delight on God, when we linger on his qualities, his creativity, his mysterious work, we set, when we set our affections on him and his will for our lives. But that begs another question. Why is delighting in God important? Why not just serve him? Why not just go to church out of duty? Why not just read, Bible, read the Bible out of it? Why delight? Why enjoy God? Well, first of all, we already said this. Delighting in God is commanded. In fact, Psalm 34, 37.4 says, delight yourself. It is an imperative. Do this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of, an, of your heart. Now, the challenge is, I don't know if you guys are like this, but anytime I'm told to do something, it makes me not want to do the thing that I'm told to do, right? The things that we're commanded to do often make us not want to do them because of the fact that they are commanded. And so in his book, The Dangerous Duty of Delight, John Piper wrote, God is not honored when we celebrate the high days of our relationship out of a mere sense of duty. He is honored when those days are our delight. Whether it's great holidays like Christmas or Easter or even an average Sunday, Maybe it's the day you celebrated your baptism. Maybe it's the day that you celebrated your coming to salvation in Jesus Christ. Those days get to be our delight as we worship the Lord. But secondly, at least initially, delighting in God leads to salvation. Delighting in God leads to salvation. When we truly begin to delight in him, we start to be able to see and appreciate God for who he is. His holiness, his splendor, his majesty, his purity, his love. Seeing him in that way allows us to get a clearer glimpse of who we are. When we see him for who he is, it's almost like we begin to see us for who we are, unholy, stained with sin. And there's a beautiful encounter that we get to see in the Old Testament of Isaiah, of his, what we, what we often call his call to ministry, or we could even say this is his salvation experience. In Isaiah chapter 6, we don't get to read the word delight, but we get to see Isaiah delighting in God. And responding appropriate. Look at what Isaiah 6, 1 to 4 says. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. 
And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And notice that Isaiah is paying attention to what he sees. He's noticing all sorts of things in this encounter. He he recognizes the year. He notes when this happened. He, He sees the place, the throne room, the train, the attendance, the praise, the smoke. As best as he can understand, he gets a clear picture of God. But then, as though he's looking in a mirror and seeing his own fallenness, Isaiah responds in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He could see his sin, his fallenness, his imperfection in the face of God's holiness, righteousness, and perfection. And his response is repentance. And in response to repentance, Isaiah receives forgiveness. In essence, essence, he receives salvation. In verses 6 and 7, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Friend, I want to encourage you, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, delight in God. Bask in his glory. Take in his holiness. Respond as Isaiah did with repentance. Repentance for your sin. And then receive his salvation. Notice where the angel gets this this coal from the altar. The altar is there at the throne of God, which means it's coming from heaven here, just as Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, as we celebrated last week on Christmas. He came here so that you and I might have life eternal. He is the means of our salvation. It's not our works. It's not our duty. It's not our performance. It is him and him alone, which means that our response is to repent and receive his salvation. God is holy. And yes, he is just, but God is also a God of love. And more than that, he loves you. John 3, 16 and 17, we we know these verses well, but it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. In verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So friend, if you're not a follower of Christ, know this, he loves you. Delight in that love. 1 John 4.10 tells us, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So in addition to being commanded and ultimately leading to salvation, thirdly, delighting in God keeps us from sinning. John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, describes this delight 
or enjoyment in God as Christian hedonism. And I know that sounds like an extreme term, and he, t- he goes to great lengths to describe it, but he, he defines Christian hedonism or defines the outcome of Christian hedonism in this way. He says the goal of Christian hedonism is to find most pleasure in the one and only God and avoid the sin of covetousness, that is, idolatry. In other words, delighting in God keeps us from sinning against him. Said another way, delighting in God promotes holiness, promotes our holiness. Delighting in God helps us to think and act and speak like him. I asked you earlier to open your Bibles to Psalm 37. Let me encourage you to uh, turn there. We're going to look at something very briefly. And you may not be the kind of person that circles in your Bible, or if you've got one of the, the pew Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and circle in, in the pew Bible. We're going to leave marks for, for the next people to read this. But here's what I, what I want to do. We're going to read the first eight verses. And I want you to notice, circle, underline, whatever, however you like to do it, but notice the imperatives, the commands that the psalmist gives us here in this passage. Psalm 37, verses 1 to 8, it says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Here's our key verse. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and, be, and, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. I know that was fast and maybe you got them all, but let me just kind of rehash some of those commands that the the psalmist gives us here. Notice he begins by saying, fret not or don't worry about evildoers. Essentially, he's telling us they are going away. Their evil is temporary. And in response, he says, trust in Yahweh. After all, he is eternal. And then he says, do good. Don't respond to evil with evil, but do good and live, dwell in the land that God has appointed for you. And while you're living there, befriend or cultivate faithfulness. And then there's that key word, delight in Yahweh, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think part of the reason he gives us those desires is that the more we delight in him, the more his desires become our desires. And the more that our lives are in tune with his will for us. But then the next command, he says, trust him. God will act. God will bring justice. We don't need to fight for our own justice. God will do it. Then he says, be still. Man, how hard is that? How hard is that to simply be still and wait? He says, don't worry. Don't fret. Don't be angry. And I think part of what we see here is that when we walk with God, when we delight in him, when we align our lives with his ways, he brings about justice and vindication. We set our affections and our intentions on him. And essentially, we focus on the things that we can control, which means I can focus on, 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 on delighting in him, in serving him. 
in worshiping him and understanding him more. And in turn, God is accomplishing the things that he has control over. I can't control evildoers, but God can control their outcome in our lives. I can't control what what nations are going to do. I can't control politics. I can't control anything. But I can control whether or not I delight in God, and I can leave the rest to him. As the famous hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This command to delight, the salvation that delighting ushers in and the holiness that is produced in our lives challenges us to ask yet another question. How can we delight in God? How can we delight in God? Throughout his book, Desiring God, Piper discusses finding pleasure in God through worship, through work, through reading scripture, through prayer, and so much more. And it's as though every part of his life, every discipline in which he engages is a means by which he delights in God. It seems that there are several things that we can do in order to foster this delight. So I think the first thing that we need to do, first thing I need to do is to slow down. The busyness of our society, the fast-paced schedules that we keep prevent us from engaging fully. Sometimes my kids wonder, I'll, I'll, the podcast that I'm listening to will come on and Zoe will, every, will ask me every now and then, why is that going so fast? I'll listen to it at time and a half speed because I want to get through more podcasts. In our times with God, we need to slow down. Allow our minds to take in all that we are reading. Slowing down allows us to hear and feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That movement that he says, when he says, do this. When we get so busy, we, it's almost as though we block the Spirit out. But secondly, we talked about this a little bit. I think we can linger on his attributes and qualities. As we read scripture, hopefully a bit more slowly, let's pay attention to who God is, how he's working in the world. Let's delight, enjoy him. Let your mind bask in the wonder of his love for you. And thirdly, I think we need to be fully present. This may mean putting your phone away, turning off the podcast or the television, turning off the notifications on your watch. How distracting are those? And I know there are many of us who read Scripture on devices, and I don't think reading Scripture on your iPad or your phone is necessarily bad, but if those, all those other distractions are not blocked, then we, we can't fully engage with what God's Word is saying. Maybe even consider getting a printed Bible out. You know, one of these things, they make them. There are still printers in the world, and they print Bibles. Bible is still the number one selling book in the world. You can turn pages. My, my, my family loves to color on their Bible to make marks. Maybe even getting out a journal and beginning to write, here's what I'm reflecting on in light of the Word. 
Fourthly, we can engage in the spiritual disciplines. Richard Foster, in his book, describes three different types of disciplines. There's the inward disciplines, which are things like meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. There's the outward disciplines of things like simplicity and solitude, submission, and service. And then there are the corporate disciplines, things like confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Over the next several weeks, we're going to go through some of these. We're not going to hit all of Foster's. In fact, we're going to pull from a variety of different places to look at different spiritual disciplines that we see in Scripture. Things like reading and hearing and meditating and memorizing Scripture, worship, fasting, serving, and more. And in all of this talk of delight, I believe that we need to be finally disciplined to delight in God. In other words, we need to be intentional about it. Years ago, someone encouraged Danielle and I to, or Danielle and me, to continue to date even after we got married. You know, you know how, how that goes. You date a lot before you get married, and then, gentlemen, you kind of woo them in hopes, and then she says yes, and then you're married. And so often we get into this mindset, well, I told you I love you on the wedding day, and I'll tell you if something changes, but don't expect, No. But these, this, these wise counselors told us, continue to date, continue to woo each other, continue to spend time with each other. And there have been seasons when Danielle and I would get out weekly. We would go grocery shopping, and that would be our date. And it was just the two of us. Zach and Mel were big enough to, to be with Zoe at home, and so we, we would just enjoy that. And now one of the things that we like doing is when a clock reads double numbers like 1010 or 1111 and one of us catches it, when we're at work, we'll send a text to each other and put the time and do a little XOXO. Or, or if we're in person, yes, we do kiss. I know, kids. But it's a way of each of us kind of con- being intentional. Hey, I saw this. I'm thinking about you. If I was with you, I would kiss you. And I think that's kind of something we need to do in our walks with God, not to, not to look at a clock and not to be overly emotional about it, but we need to have a plan. We need to be disciplined about delighting in him. In, in 1 Timothy 4, Paul commented to this young pastor about the ways in which people were departing from the faith. They'll get enticed and lured in by distracting things in part because they're not truly delighting in God. They're, they're allowing their minds to be drifted off into these other things. And so they're, they're wanting to hear these other myths. And so Paul urged Timothy to go into intentional, rigorous spiritual training because it has rewards both now and in eternity. 1 Timothy uh, 4, 7, and 8, which is a memory verse that I put in your outline if you want to work on that this week. It says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You may or may not be one of those people who makes resolutions. I kind of sometimes do and I sometimes don't and I fail more often in the resolutions that I make than what I accomplish. 
But when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to our delighting in God, I believe we need to make a plan. It doesn't need to be full of details. It doesn't need to be huge and drawn out. It just needs to be a plan where this is the time that I'm going to be with God. This is the time I'm going to sit with his word and I'm going to read and I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to move and to teach and, and instruct me in his way. It might be brief. Maybe it'll be a couple of hours. Who knows? You, you know your schedule. But start with something. Be intentional about it. Maybe it's the discipline to turn off certain influences. Maybe it's a, a plan to read together as a family. And, and we'll look at this more over the next several weeks. But I want, as, you, as we turn the calendar from 2023 to 2024, I want us to be thinking about what is going to be different in our lives spiritually next year. And my hope is that we can use spiritual disciplines as a means of delighting, enjoying God. And I got to tell you, in sharing, in sharing this and walking through this series, I am very much a work in progress. I do an okay job getting into habits. I don't do a really good job being fully engaged in those habits. It's a box to check. Okay, done. Now I can move on with my day. So I want to ask, will you join with me in this journey? Will you join me in putting down the devices and turning off the notifications? Will you join me in learning how to delight in God? Will you pray for me as I pray for you in this? And my hope is that as a result, we will reflect him more fully and others people outside of our fellowship, people in our neighborhoods, people that live next to our family members, friends, coworkers will see the result and will want to be with God the way that we are.